Hello to you. I do hope you're well and welcome to this week's edition of the Ben Wardle podcast. And what a week it has been. Royal Watchers have been on the edge of their seats, keeping their finger on the pulse for the latest twist and turn in the Harry and Meghan interview saga. How was that for an introduction? (laughs) Not that I rehearsed that about 10 times, getting about 10 words wrong each time. But hey, we got it in one, my loves. There's our opener for today. It's downhill from here. How are you? Welcome to the podcast on the week that the Oprah Winfrey interview rocked the world. And it really did. You know, this story has gone global. Everybody seems to have an opinion on um, Meghan and Harry's interview with Oprah, their two-hour tell-all um, conversation about what has been deemed their truth, their story, um, their ordeal as senior royals. Very interesting as well um, that the Queen and Buckingham Palace have, in the last 24 hours as I record this podcast, responded with a 61-word statement. I think that really shows the contrast, doesn't it, between these two generations and these two approaches, if you like, to... Um, the public sphere. You know, Harry and Meghan giving a sit-down tell-all interview, the Queen responding with a 61-word statement, which basically said, we're going to keep this private. Thank you very much. <laughs> the contrast um, and the um, difference between the two is quite extraordinary. Um, and talking of contrast, people's reactions to this interview have been extremely divided I think it's fair to say. On the one hand, people have been focusing on the issues raised of race and mental health, which, of course, are very important issues which need to be discussed. Um, And on the other hand, people have reacted to the fact the interview took place at all. So you've got the people taking issue with the issues raised and you've got the people taking issue with the fact the issues were raised or the way in which they were raised. You know, that idea that the interview itself was wrong to take place. Um, And on the other side, people focusing on the fact the issues raised were the problem, if that makes sense to you. So I feel like although we, we sort of position those two sides of the argument against each other, they're actually arguing about different things. You know, on the one hand, people are very angry about the issues that were raised in the interview. On the other hand, people are very angry about the fact the interview took place. So there's a there's actually no alignment there, if you get what I mean. I'm not sure I get what I mean, but in my head it makes sense. I'm just saying that people seem to think this is a football match, but actually... One of the teams is playing football. The other team is playing cricket. So people are actually having a a conversation about different things. But hey, why not? Everybody's entitled to an opinion, even if it's on a totally different topic to (laughs) to anybody else. But they seem to be the two issues raised from this um, explosive bombshell interview, as it has been called. And all of this discussion post-interview has obviously been playing out on social media. Surprise, surprise. And I think this is fascinating because, you know, social media has now existed for what, just over a decade, maybe two decades at a push, 13, 14 years, I'd like to say. And obviously, social media now has seen a lot of politics 
<laughs> to put it lightly, um, a lot of elections, a lot of debates. But I don't think social media has ever seen a royal scandal of this kind. And it's very interesting to see how, you know, the British royal family have been pulled apart, discussed um, and tweeted about around the world in this way. Um, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. I mean, a newspaper headline, you know, said it's the biggest royal crisis for 85 years, you know? The last time the monarchy was in this situation, nobody was tweeting about it. No, you know, nobody was making YouTube video after YouTube video about it. And so it's really interesting to take a step back and look at the way people present their opinions. Because I think the royal family is something everyone's got opinions on. They certainly seem to have an opinion on this interview. And it's a really good catalyst um, for conversation about how people use social media to share their opinions. I think the complicated thing with this interview, you know, and if you disagree, obviously, please let me know in the comments. The complicated thing with this interview is it's discussing, as the Queen says in her statement, a private issue. This is a private family um, dispute, if I can call it that. However, because of the nature of the issues involved, for example, mental health and racism, um, a lot of people, quite rightly, feel very strongly about it. Um, and then added to that, the people who feel very strongly about the fact the interview took place anyway. So never mind the issues involved and their sort of their personal experience, um, whether they can relate to what Harry and Meghan have said, whether they feel empathy for them. And that is very important. But then we've got we've got a lot going on. We've got a lot going on, haven't we? A lot of different people very angry about a lot of different things. Um, I think it's fair to say nobody is a winner in this situation. Nobody is a winner. And what I want to talk about today is where do we go from here in terms of how we debate and discuss the issues raised, whether that's should royals speak out in a TV interview, um, should the Queen be doing more in response to the issues raised in the interview? How do we approach this? How do we discuss this? Because I can tell you, you know, in my opinion, from the few days of coverage I've seen, the way people are going about this is just really not helpful. It's not constructive in any way, shape or form. You know, we've seen Piers Morgan storming out and quitting Good Morning Britain, for example. Um, you know, we've seen abolish the monarchy on the one hand and then on the other hand we've seen strip them of their royal titles. It's a lot. There is a lot going on and I just don't know. Well actually I do. I know this is not the best way to resolve this issue and I think it highlights a major major problem we have in the 21st century with social media communications. They do not in any way shape or form support democratic, civilised, rational discussion. I think we've known that for a long time now. We've seen it with fake news and the US elections, for example. Um, and we see it on, it on a daily basis, don't we? With the um, cancel culture, with the fake news again, with the mob mentality that whips up daily dramas, daily anger, and, you know, these daily rouse that we just see 
every single day, every single week. They don't stop. People getting very angry, very upset online. I think in this case, understandably so. You know, look at the issues raised um, and also think about how people do feel about the monarchy. People feel very strongly about the monarchy. They also feel very strongly about issues such as racism um, and mental health, obviously amongst the many other issues raised. People have got strong feelings. I'm just not sure if we are working through the issues raised in the right way, if social media is actually causing more harm than good. I'm not offering an answer either way. I'm just putting the question out there because on social media, facts have been replaced with hashtags. There is no doubt about that. You know, the truth no longer matters. Um, and this was happening before social media. Mary Midgley wrote a book called Can't We Make Moral Judgments, in which she spoke about morality and said, nothing can be known in the sphere of morals. You know, we have abandoned, if you like, the idea of objective morality. Morality has been reduced to a matter of personal preference and opinion. We see moral issues as no more objective than someone's um, choice of food, choice of clothes. Um, it's all about personal preference. It's all about your subjective feelings. Emotivism, a whole school of metaethics there. The idea that morality cannot be known in an objective way. It is a matter of emotion. It's how you feel. So nobody can ever say, that's right, that's wrong. They can only ever say, I think that's right, I think that's wrong, or I feel that way. And this really creates problems for standards um, in terms of what is the truth? Does the truth exist or is everything now a matter of subjective opinion and personal preference? It's a bit like the time, for example. This is an example I use a lot. You know, if if the time is 12 p.m. on the clock, but I say, well, I actually feel like it's 3 p.m. So it's 3 p.m. for me from now on. Like, does that work? Because that's essentially what we've done with morality. In the past, people would accept that's right, that's wrong, it's very clear, it's very explicit. Today, people go, well, that's how you want to live, but I'm not going to follow those rules. So you do you, and I'll go and do my thing over here. So can I create my own time zone? Can I, <laughs> can I create my own temperature? Like, what what is going on here? Surely we need some objective standards. Surely we need some like accountability. That's just what I'm thinking and I'm wondering because genuinely we have got to a position where you're sort of unable to criticise anybody. You're not allowed to hold people to account because who are you to judge? Which is very true, by the way. Jesus Christ himself said, he who is without sin may cast the first stone. But at the same time, how do we ever uh, achieve anything if we can't agree on objective standards or we can't defer to higher moral principles which bind us together. You know, without any standards, without any, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Without any standards, any consistency, how do we get anything done? And my point here about social media is if anybody can say anything and it, it just goes unchecked, um, unverified and unquestioned, where do we end up? If it just becomes a case of, well, that's what I believe, and obviously you're allowed to believe, but if you're saying that's what I believe, so it's true, objectively to me, 
where do we go? If everything just becomes a matter of belief, 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 how do we ever agree, as I say, and how do we ever move forwards together? And that seems to be what's happened. Facts don't matter anymore on social media. Whoever can shout the loudest, whoever can gain the most influence, whoever can be the most influential has complete control over the narrative. And that's how, obviously, cancel culture works. You know, it's not about they broke this rule. You know, they they violated this moral principle. Cancel culture is literally, we don't like you, so we're going to cancel you. I don't know what that accent was, by the way, but I just felt that was where the mood was taking me. <laughs> and it's crazy. Like, two celebrities could do exactly the same thing. One of them would be cancelled. I hate that word, but they would be cancelled and, you know, hounded off the internet. The other everyone would be defending to the heavens and they'd get away with it without charge. And I find that fascinating because as I say, there are no standards, there are no protocols, there are no procedures. It's just literally a case of in that moment, that person didn't like them. They managed to whip up a mob to also not like them and they cancelled them. Whereas somebody else does exactly the same thing and gets away with it scot-free, as they say. Um, case in point with Piers Morgan, you know, his exit from Good Morning Britain. Fair enough if that had been a ITV investigation and inquiry, and they had concluded that his position was untenable in accordance with certain principles that they have at the organisation. You know, he violated X, Y, Z, therefore he cannot be a presenter on our show. But from my my perspective sat here today, obviously more information might come out. Meghan Markle fired off a little message to the ITV executives saying, I don't like what you said. 40,000 people who weren't happy and didn't agree with him sent a message to Ofcom. And the next morning, he's no longer on the show. I don't believe that is an appropriate way to be hiring and firing people. Um, as I say, I will repeat this. If... ITV had conducted a investigation or whatever and had found a clear violation of their code of conduct or whatever they follow as an organisation, then obviously he should not be in the job. But how on earth can a, a mob have that power? Like, that's not surely responsible because if that can happen to him then that can happen to anybody and that's when it becomes very very dangerous when you have that tyranny of the majority and that ability for as I say a hashtag to lead to real world consequences um it, it worries me actually about the future for not only political debate and discussion and not only philosophical debate and discussion but for the future of how we run a country you know if you can start making real world decisions based on what a bunch of people have tweeted that day is that how it works do we not need to have more procedures or protocols or verification in place i don't know let me know what you think how we can talk about these issues and resolve these issues um and talking of talking how we communicate. I think social media is lacking one thing, respect. People need to respect each other on social media and obviously in real life. But I feel on social media, that has gone. People are not respectful at all. You know, you should be able to say, 
anything. You should be able to give your point of view, of course. And social media gives people a platform, which is fantastic. It empowers voices who would otherwise never get the chance to be heard. That's amazing. But when you get that voice, you've got to surely use it in a respectful and responsible way. Um, and obviously, the nature of social media is that it's very dramatic. It's very sensationalised. It's, you know, it's very over the top, I suppose, in terms of it is a populist's dream platform, isn't it? It really, really is. How you can sort of whip up hysteria, um, whip up a mob in the space of 140 characters is extraordinary. And how you can flat out lie um, and that goes unquestioned is extraordinary. But when you are using a platform such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, however you are communicating, surely you need to be respectful in the same way as if you were communicating in person. I'd hope you wouldn't be screaming at somebody and you wouldn't be lying to somebody because you would understand conversation etiquette. Surely there needs to be etiquette about how you talk to people or how you present your ideas on a social media platform. It can't be this mob mentality. You're cancelled. You can't say that. Da -da 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 -da, you know, X, Y, Z, on and on. We need some, we need some standards, don't we, in how we communicate on these platforms. Say what you want, fine, but please consider how you say it. And also, where is our fact checking? Where is our confirmation? Yeah, okay. They've got evidence for that point. They can back it up. You know, we've got so many unfounded things flying around um, that go without being checked. That's very, very dangerous, as we know from the problem of fake news in democratic elections. So there's a lot of issues that are obviously coming to light because of social media. It provides a fantastic opportunity for people to have a voice, to build a personal brand, to put themselves out there um, and to put their 20 pence in on any issue they would like to. But with that, surely, 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 there is some kind of responsibility, accountability, I don't know. What do you think? Let me know. I'm really interested to hear your opinions. You know, I always think this as well. Um, to be a teacher, you have to have qualifications. You know, you have to be qualified to teach. Parents don't want a random person teaching and influencing their child. To be a doctor, you've got to have qualifications. People don't want to be operated on by someone who doesn't know what they're doing. So why can, and I'm not saying this is wrong, by the way, I'm genuinely asking a question. Why can anybody become an influencer on social media? You know, when, I'm trying to word this really diplomatically now but sort of when they've got no credentials they've got no expertise for example why are they able to become so influential especially on topics they don't know anything about fair enough my love if you're an expert on birds and you're going to become a bird expert on twitter amazing but i just find it interesting when say someone that's become famous for being a makeup artist a drag queen a reality TV star, X, Y, Z, when they suddenly become the biggest voice on an issue they've never studied, they've never read about, they know absolutely nothing about, I just think, 
Why are they the one influencing a conversation on something they don't know anything about? Now, obviously, everybody's entitled to an opinion, but it's very different, isn't it? Discussing your opinion on an issue with your family, your friends or with your work colleagues, that's very different from being on a public platform and using that platform and your influence on that platform to shape a narrative and to shape people's viewpoints. So should you have to pass a test to become a commentator online? Or is that the whole point? You know, you are just sharing your opinion. It's other people's decision whether to believe what you say, to agree with what you say, to retweet you. But I would come back on that point by saying people are sheep. You know, this is something we find. People are sheep. They will follow the mob. They will follow the crowd. People feel safer in a crowd. People find belonging in a crowd. And so they will always take refuge in the safety of the group. And so as soon as one snowball begins, that's it. You know, as soon as you can sort of unlock, if you like, viral status, You've got a golden ticket there because it's not about talent at the end of the day. It's not about talent and it's not about expertise. The only talent or expertise involved is knowing how to be known, if that makes sense. It's not what you know. It's the fact that you know how to be known, which is very interesting. You know, it's like PR rather than any expertise behind it. Anyway, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore because I just keep speaking and I'm like, Ben, what are we actually talking about today? And then I remember we're talking about the Harry and Meghan interview and the consequences of that in terms of how everyone's discussing it, how everybody's debating it. Um, as I say, it's so important for people to express their opinions and express their viewpoints, but it has got to be done in a responsible way, doesn't it? You know, like, and we can't be cancelling people just because we don't agree with their opinion. You know, John Stuart Mill said this, you know, it is an evil to stifle an opinion. How do you know that opinion you are silencing is wrong? How do you know that? You know, Jesus Christ was killed 2,000 years ago um, because the authorities of the time didn't agree with what he was saying. 2,000 years later, we herald him as probably the greatest human being to have ever existed. And billions of people believe that he is the teacher of the truth. He is the way, the truth and the life. Socrates as well, today seen as, you know, founding father of Western philosophy, one of the wisest men to ever exist. He was put to death um, by the Athenian authorities for corrupting the youth because he went around asking them questions. So how do you know that the opinion you are silencing or the person you are cancelling is wrong? Are you God? Like, have you got some access to the truth? Do you have a source of knowledge that I don't? Absolutely not. You just think that your opinion is infallible and therefore you can tell everyone else they're wrong. But what if that wasn't the case? People need to sort of, I personally believe, start listening to voices other than their own. And I'm not saying like people only listen to themselves, but people tend to surround themselves with people they only agree with. And I think what we need to do is get used to listening to other viewpoints. So a case in point with the, the newspapers, for example, I always, always read the papers, you know, as in the physical papers. I love to go and get the papers. I love to go and go and get my papers from Tesco in the morning. It's my favourite thing to do. I'm being serious now. 
And what I always do is I always like to get a selection of papers. So I'll get the eye, which is my favourite paper. I've read that for many years, since about year eight, probably. I'm very old now, you see, my loves. Because that is impartial journalism. You know, that's their commitment to being impartial and just reporting the facts. So I love that. So I get the eye. And then what I'll always try to do is get one or two other papers, depending on what my mood is, you know, whether I want a bit of celebrity gossip or some hard-hitting political headlines. I'll get one or two other papers. Um, and I find that so important and so enlightening because I like to know what other people's perspectives are. You know, so people might see me walking down the street, as I will do several times a week, with the Daily Mail in hand and people go, oh! You don't read that. What? I go, absolutely I do. Not only is this the second best-selling paper in the UK, so it's really got the finger on the pulse of a lot of people in this country. It knows exactly what they're thinking. And reading this paper shows you what these people are thinking. But also, as I've just said, it, it, it represents what a lot of people are thinking. Just because I might not agree with them, um, it doesn't mean I don't appreciate their opinion or point of view. Do you know what I mean? I often think that. How can you argue against something when you don't even understand the argument? <laughs> like, if you don't understand what you're arguing against, how can you argue against it? You can't just be like, I'm right. <laughs> End of the story. That's, that's half the story. You need to consider every viewpoint. So I will really try and get a nice, eclectic selection of opinions. And, you know, that's why, for example on issues such as God. I like to hear the theist. I like to hear the atheist. I like to hear the agnostic. And I think we should try and apply that to ethical issues as well. You know, talking about God for me, it's, it's not very personal because I, I like to study God academically. Whereas um, for obviously someone with strong religious belief, it may be more difficult because it's a very personal thing to hear God being criticised. And indeed, in some countries, you're actually put to death for saying God doesn't exist, which is another podcast episode in the making. That is a disgrace. That is stifling an opinion. And John Stuart Mill would not be happy about that. Um, but I also think we should apply that to issues such as um, the legalisation of homosexuality, which is a personal issue for me. My dissertation has been on um, St. Paul on sexuality and looking at the Catholic Church's continued opposition to gay marriage um, and to homosexuality. So it's investigating where that objection comes from and sort of evaluating it. Now, I say this... Um, you know, hand on my heart, I get where the church is coming from. I can understand the argument being made. I can see the foundations for it and I can understand its development. Now, people will then turn to me and they'll go, that's internalised homophobia. That's internalised homophobia. And my response to them is absolutely not. You know, just because I don't agree with you or just because I'm able to consider the opposing view, that doesn't mean I've been brainwashed. That doesn't mean I'm ill. You know, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. We've got to get used to and we've got to get comfortable considering other people's opinions and perspectives. And that's something social media, I think, has not achieved very well because people end up just seeing on their newsfeed or on their Twitter timeline, 
stories, people, issues that are close to them. You know, people, because of the way these algorithms work, people are only exposed to stories that support what they already believe or people who they are alike. And we find that anywhere, you know, in society, in schools, for example, people will typically be friends with people they are like. We, we like people that we are like. But I think social media has really missed an opportunity there to be a little bit more balanced, if that's the word, and to really give us all more perspectives and more balance. I find that people on social media seem to think social media is this wonderful world and everybody in the real world is evil. And it's just not that black and white. Um, you know, you go on social media and you have a totally different perspective on life than you get from speaking to real people in the real world. You know, I'm not getting political here, but I always, always remember like the last general election. If you went on Twitter, you thought that the Labour Party was going to win 110% of the vote. You, you read the newspapers and it was abundantly clear that the Conservatives were going to win the election. And lo and behold, they did. And then the people on social media, they couldn't believe it. They thought, they thought there's some mistake. They couldn't get their heads around it. And I thought, this is your problem. You live in an echo chamber. You are taking what you see on your timeline to be the whole story. You think social media is the place to be when really it's just one slice of the pie chart. And I think that's a really good sort of representation of conversation, opinion, debate in general. If we don't consider different opinions and we're not comfortable with people having different perspectives and opinions, we've got a problem. And that's why cancel culture is so wrong. You know, you cannot cancel someone just because in that moment you don't like them. That's not how it works. You know, we, we need to conduct ourselves in a respectful way and you should always treat people with respect. Of course you should, that is essential. But a big part of respect is granting everybody a voice, even if you don't agree with them. You know, we need to hear their perspective. We need to hear their voice because silencing an opinion only causes more problems. Um, and so really, really interesting to just see this whole cancel culture, to see the anger, um, frustration on both sides of the Harry and Meghan interview and sort of trying to work out how do we have constructive conversations? How do we create a I was going to say safe space, but I feel like that's a really loaded term now where people can speak and they don't worry. Oh, you can't say that. Oh, I'm going to get cancelled. People need to speak um, and to give their opinion. That is their birthright. You know, there are many countries where people cannot. And I think, frankly, social media is then voluntarily creating a world where people cannot. Um, and that's really dangerous. I think the social media cancel culture is just as bad as an authoritarian state where people are put to death for things like blasphemy. So that's my thoughts on the matter. And I think we need to sort of reflect now and navigate together how we can restore liberty and freedom and freedom of speech whilst being very respectful to each other. You know, we also need to be very mindful and very aware that just because our opinion is 
important to us, and it is, um, and, you know, it's our truth, as people say, that doesn't necessarily mean it is the truth, you know, and we need to develop some objective standards in terms of morality and in terms of truthfulness, because when we reduce everything down to a matter of personal preference and feeling, and then we go, and my feeling is the right one, we've got ourselves a problem. But that's my thoughts. Um, what are yours? I would love to hear. Let me know in the comments down below. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I'm sorry if it's all been very, like, bits and pieces, but that's just my thoughts today. Do you know what I mean? That's just my thoughts, thinking out loud on this situation. Um, so as I say, let me know down in the comments what you're thinking. Um, what you're thinking? I can't even speak now. Quick, let's have some water and let's bring the podcast to a close. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Keep living your best life and keep in touch. I will see you next Wednesday. Have a great week. Bye-bye.